Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. The church office is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 590 West Orange Avenue in El Centro, or call 760-337-9400 for information or for prayer. Christ Community Church has three campuses in El Centro, Brawley, and Calexico, plus a congregation in Spanish. As we navigate the end of the COVID-19 quarantine season and transition to in-person regathering, we encourage you to find up-to-date information about events and each campus's worship service schedule. When you follow us on social media, on our website at www.cccib.org, or simply download the CCCIV app, you'll find the direct link to the app at www.cccib.org forward slash get the app or when you text cccib app to 77977 after those seven years he died and because he didn't have an heir he didn't have a successor the control of the grecian empire was left in the hands of four regions given to four of his generals which would be symbolized by the four heads of the leopard are you following me are we all up to speed this is this is Nebuchadnezzar's belly of brass. Okay, so we've seen the lion is the gold, the bear is the silver, the leopard is the bronze. Now let's look at the next uh, beast that will arise out of the waters. And what we're going to see here is a vision of man's final kingdom. If you're taking notes, this is a vision of man's final kingdom. Look at verse six or, with, or verse seven with me. After this, after he saw these three beasts come out of this water, and he saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast who is terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all of the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. And I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes as the eyes of a man, and the mouth speaking great things." So here's the fourth and final kingdom of man that we're going to look at, and this would be the legs of iron in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, which would symbolize the Roman Empire. Again, they had iron teeth, right? And just like there were ten toes, there are ten horns. You can see the, course, or the correlation here. And Rome really came to power uh, in, in the uh, second century before Christ. And they took a great known region. Look at this map. If we could pull up this map, you can kind of see the area that Rome had all around the sea here, right? All of this area was under Roman occupation. This was at, at, at the extent, at the height of their power. This is all of the lands that were under control of Rome. Now, Daniel says that as he saw this, this beast was terrifying. What that literally means is that it inspired great awe. And he doesn't have words to even explain what this beast looked like. He couldn't use an analogy. He couldn't use a metaphor. He couldn't say it was like a lion or like a bear or like a leopard. He had no words. It was just absolutely awe-inspiring and terrifying. And he says, and I, as I looked, I saw, and this, uh, this beast had ten horns, again, which would symbolize those ten toes for Nebuchadnezzar's dream, which is a revived Roman Empire. Rome lost power in, in the 4th century, right? But uh, there's still, according to these prophecies in Daniel, there will be a revived Roman Empire that will be consisted of 10 nations that will come together, bring their powers together, 
and will seek to, to once again rule the world. Now, he says, I saw these ten horns, these ten nations, these ten kings. But out of these ten horns or ten nation or ten kings, there was a little one that arose and he took power from three. So there's an eleventh horn that rises and he takes the power from three of the smaller horns. So one nation will come up and that man who rules that nation will take power from three other nations, subdue them. Okay, are you following with me? And it says there that this horn is different than the other horns. That this horn is given eyes like a man. Okay, he has insight and intelligence and wisdom. He's given a mouth to speak great things, to speak pompous words, to speak prideful, arrogant words he's given. Right? Now, what most Bible commentators believe and what I believe as well is that this little horn symbolizes Antichrist who will arise out of, revive, out of a revived Roman Empire. Those nations of the original Roman Empire, ten nations will come together and Antichrist will come out of those ten nations. We looked at a few weeks back how there was a coalition of the willing that was formed a couple of years ago by the French government that banded together nine other nations from the European Union. The European Union right now has 27 nations, 19 of which use the euro as their, their, their form of, of currency, right? But here is a coalition of willing that have come together for defense purposes, right? And I'm not saying that these are the nations for certain. I'm just saying something like this will happen. Ten nations will come together in order to solve the problems of the world. And there will come one man out of these ten nations that will assume power over three of these nations, and he will speak great words. He will be an incredible orator. People by the masses will come to listen to his ideas. How are we going to solve world poverty? How are we going to solve global warming? How are we going to solve uh, disease and famine and pestilence? How are we going to resolve conflict? How can we bring peace? And this man, Antichrist, who comes out of these ten nations, will speak so powerfully and so beautifully that the masses of humanity will place their trust and their hope in him. We have to be ready for this moment. We have to be prepared. And what I love about how God in his sovereignty takes this moment in Scripture, and he almost gives us a, a parenthetical little bit of hope because he says, this is what the worlds will look like. This is what will be happening, conquering and battles and hardship and, and just these men that are not led by God, these wicked men that will assume power and will crush people beneath them. And this is what is going to be happening in the nations of the world. This is what will be happening in those raging waters. This is what's happening on the wrong side of the Jordan. This is what's happening in the kingdoms of the world. And it's like God says, okay, now time out. For those of you for whom this is just too much, God says, now I'm going to give you a vision of the kingdom of heaven. Everything is going to be just fine. And we're surrounded by such wickedness in our world. And we have adult men exposing themselves to children and riots breaking out. We have buildings collapsing. We have nations rising up against nations. We have, right now, China is like beating their breast and, and giving so many different kinds of threats. You have unease in Middle East, in the Middle East. You have Israel receiving a new cabinet, a, a new leadership, a new direction. So much is happening in the world. And what God wants you to hear today is a time out. 
Let's take our eyes off of the world just for a second because this vision just isn't about the things of the world. More so than that, this vision is about the kingdom of heaven. And when you remember the kingdom of heaven, you can't help but have hope. Personally speaking, for maybe where you're at today, maybe towers falling on the waters in Florida, maybe that doesn't hit real close to home. Maybe what's happening in the Middle East doesn't hit really that close to home. Maybe what's happening in Northern California and along the, the, the coast with, the, you know, with, with all of the transgender issues, maybe that doesn't hit close to home. Maybe that's not an issue. Maybe none of that really hits close to home, but what God would speak to you this morning is very similar to what maybe Griselle said just a little bit ago. Maybe something's happening in your marriage. Maybe you're suffering loss of someone that you loved. Maybe you're struggling to find work. Maybe you can't make ends meet. Maybe there's sickness in your family. Maybe there's cancer or, or things that you just don't know what's going to happen. There's unease, and your eyes are so fixed on this side, the wrong side of the Jordan. And what God is saying to you today is time out. Get your eyes off of your circumstances and remember that the kingdom of heaven is coming and the kingdom of our God is on its way and God rules and he reigns from that place. Amen? Yes. So look at what happens here. Verse 9. God says, time out, Daniel. Yes, this stuff is, is heavy. Yes, this stuff can be depressing. Yes, this stuff might seem like it's hopeless, but... As he looks, verse 9, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and his hair, uh, the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousands served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. And as I looked, because of the sound of the great words that that horn was speaking... And as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season of time. Daniel, it's okay. Why? Because if you look closely, you'll see upon the throne the Ancient of Days. This is a title for none other than God the Father. This is a title for none other than God the Creator. What does Genesis 1-1 say? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He was there before everything, and he will be there after everything, the Ancient of Days. Jesus would come onto the scene, and he would say this in, in Revelation chapter 1. He said that he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I take great comfort in the fact that even though things in the world that are happening today don't make sense to me, that God was there before it, and he will be there after it, and he knows exactly what is going on, and nothing takes him by surprise, and he is sovereign, and he rules, and he reigns. Job, later on, just for sake of time, I don't want to have to turn there, but Job, I want you guys to go and to read this later. Job uh, chapter 38 Going to read the, the verses 3 through 11, how God says this to Job. Were you there when the stars were hung in place? Were you there when the waters began to roar? And again, Job is, 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 is so prideful, so arrogant. He thinks he understands. He thinks he knows what's going on. And God says, wait a second, Job. 
If you don't understand something, if something doesn't make sense, why would you go anywhere else than to me? I was there before it all, and I will be there after it all. And if you need help, if you need interpretation, if you need understanding, then just come to me. That same God who gives that invitation to Job is there for you as well. If you're confused, if things don't make sense, if things are difficult, if things are trying, if your faith is being shaken, God says to you, just as he said to Job, come to me. I was there before it all, and I will be there after. He sees the ancient of days. He takes his seat. His clothing was white as snow. His hair was like, like pure wool. This speaks of holiness. This speaks of purity. This speaks of God's righteousness. The book of Habakkuk says that God is of purer eyes to, to behold evil, that he cannot behold evil. This is why Jesus, when he's hanging upon the cross, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why? Because in those moments, in divine glory, God turns his face from his son, as the scripture says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, that God the Father made him God the Son, to be sin, who knew no sin, became sin for you and for me. Jesus on the cross became sin. God is holy. God is righteous. God could not permit sin into his presence. Literally what happens upon the cross is Jesus experienced a taste of hell for you and for me. He became sin and because he became sin, he took, upon, he took sin upon himself. Because he took that sin upon himself, he experienced separation from the Father. Separation from the Father, that's the literal definition of hell. The definition of hell is a separation. The definition of death is a separation. Physical death is a separation of the body from the spirit. The physical separation or spiritual separation is a separation of the spirit from the presence of God. Upon the cross, Jesus experienced separation from God so you would not have to. Why? Because God is holy. And if you are carrying around your sin still, you cannot be allowed or permitted into the presence of God. Jesus took your sin so that you could be made righteous, so that you could make your way into God's presence. Daniel has this vision the Ancient of Days takes his seat. He's so pure and so holy and so righteous. His throne was flames of fire. It was consumed in flames, or it was, but it was not devoured. It was, it was enthroned or engulfed in flames, but it was not being consumed, I should say. Right? It just kept burning, everlasting burning. And a stream of fire issued and came out from before him. This stream of fire goes out. Have you ever seen, look at this video just for a second. Have you ever seen the way uh, these, and I, this is in the Pacific, where these streams of lava flow from, right? These streams of lava flow and they go out into the ocean. And the picture that I have in my mind of God's throne, here's the ancient of days. His hair is white as wool. His eyes are like a flame of fire. He's so perfect and so pure and so holy. And from that throne issues fire. There's streams of fire that are issued out to bring judgment, to bring purity, to purge that which is unholy, right? When you have a picture in your mind of streams, right? Streams and rivers. Streams and rivers, they flow to larger bodies of water. Those larger bodies of water can be uh, oceans, can be seas, or it can be lakes. And this is the way it's described 
in the book of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 20, verse 14. It says, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. My vision in I ha- that I have in my head is here from God's throne. There's these flowing streams of fire that go into this lake of fire, which is the second death. Judgment, fire, purity is being flown out from God. He's, it's from his throne, and it's going into this lake where eventually the enemy will end up, where eventually anyone who refuses to confess Christ as Savior will end up. God is judged. This is what it says in Malachi chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all the evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze. Now, if that doesn't cause you to pause just for a moment, I don't know what will. That day is coming like an oven. They shall become as ash, stubble. will set all of the arrogant, all of the prideful. They will be set ablaze. Listen to this, Matthew chapter 13. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels. They will gather out of all of the kingdoms, all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This should cause us pause. Because yes, God is holy. Yes, God sees what's going on. Yes, God is enthroned in the praises of the angels and the saints. But from that place, judgment goes forth. And judgment is coming for all of us. Are we ready? Listen to what it says here. It says there that around this throne, his fire goes forth. He's surrounded by thousands upon thousands. Literally, that would be millions. And then he says, not only that, but then 10,000 times 10,000. That would be hundreds of millions. What this text is saying is that there are millions upon hundreds of millions of angels that are gathered around, that are worshiping, that are serving there, and then a court begins to take session. Judgment is coming. The judge of all of the universe sits upon his throne Fire is going forth from that throne. The angels surrounding, they're singing praise, they're giving praise to God, and then a court is called into session. And think with me just for a moment, if you will, what this would look like. The Ancient of Days there presiding with gavel in hand. And there in the courtroom, all of the actors, all of the participants have gathered together. You have the accuser of the brethren, known as Satan, maybe in the form of Antichrist. I'm not sure. Satan will be there accusing the brethren. What does that mean? In in Revelation chapter 12, it says that that's what Satan does. He stands before the throne of God day and night accusing you of sin. Some of you internalize this. Some of you think that that's what your worth is. Some of you hear his word over you rather than God's word over you. These accusations are given. You're just a man filled with lust. You're just a woman who cannot tell the truth. You're never going to amount to anything. You're not beautiful. You're not perfect. You're you're never going to amount to much. You're just not good enough. And we internalize these things. And Satan is there accusing the brethren of sin, casting stones, throwing darts. But there in the same courtroom, as all of the actors are assembled, we see the Son of Man there. We see Jesus himself, who is not the accuser of the brethren, but the scripture says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, that he is our advocate. He is our defender. 
He's the one who is there to, to, to try the case on our behalf. He's the one who's there to bring legal aid to us. When those accusations are spewed by Satan, Jesus stands there with his nail-pierced wrists, the, the nail-pierced side, his feet that have been pierced, the, where the, the scars from the crown of thorns, and he reminds the pure and holy judge, yes, all of those things are true, but I've already paid the price. The actors are all assembled. The words are spoken. The accusations are given. And every single accusation, if we're honest with ourselves, is true. Now, there are two books that I want to consider that the Bible points out. There's a book called the Book of Remembrance. This is in Malachi chapter 3. You can read this later, Malachi 3, 16 through 18. And in this book, there's an account. There's a, a recording of all of our known deeds. Now, if that doesn't give you pause for a moment, the books are opened at this court. Everyone's seated. The books are open. The, the, the enemy himself is giving accusation. He has a record of every wrongdoing, everything that we thought, every time that we thought a, a lustful thought. Every time that we told a lie, every time we took something that wasn't our own, every time we took the name of the Lord our God in vain, every single recorded deed, it's there. It's there. And he brings them up and he spews them out. Right? Listen, this is what the scripture says in Luke chapter 12. Jesus says this, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy, which is saying there's someone but acting or living a different life. Nothing, listen to this, Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be made known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. You hear that? He says to the religious leaders of the day, he says to the people who attended church every day, the people who were in life groups and maybe volunteered in children's ministry or helped out in a fireworks booth, he looked at these people and he says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. They say one thing, they worship one way, but then they live differently. There is nothing that they have spoken that will not be revealed one day. Nothing that they whispered in behind closed doors that will not be shouted from the rooftops. Listen to what this says in Matthew chapter 12. Jesus says this, On the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. One of my favorite passages of Scripture is Hebrews chapter 4 verse 13. It says this, No creature is hidden from his sight, but we are all naked and exposed, open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And in that moment, we're completely vulnerable, completely exposed, because the trial that is convening is the trial for your soul. All the actors are present, and you are seated at the plaintiff's, or the defendant's table. The books are opened. All of your sins are read. Every one of them recorded. You're completely exposed, completely naked, completely open. You have no course of action. These charges are read, and if the judge would look you in the eye, what would you say? He would say, are these charges true? How do you plead? In that moment, you will have no choice but to say, I'm guilty. I confess it. There's no hope for your defense. But then, a 
a lamb as though he had been slain, who's seated at your side. He stands you in your naked state, exposed, and he covers you with his robe of righteousness. The scripture says this in Colossians chapter 2, that every word that is written against us, listen to this, it says, and you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven all of your trespasses. All of those words written against you in that book of remembrance, they're forgiven. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, he's taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. He takes that book of remembrance and he wipes it clean. He erases every deed, every evil deed you've ever done. Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. The church office is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 590 West Orange Avenue in El Centro. Or call 760-337-9400 for information or for prayer. Christ Community Church has three campuses in El Centro, Raleigh, and Calexico, plus a congregation in Spanish. As we navigate the end of the COVID-19 quarantine season and transition to in-person regathering, we encourage you to find up-to-date information about events and each campus's worship service schedule. When you follow us on social media, on our website at www.cccib.org or simply download the cccib app you'll find the direct link to the app at www.cccib.org forward slash get the app or when you text cccib app to 77977